Okay. By Mr. Barnabas Gregory. No. We're living in times of peculiar spiritual dangers today. Never has there been such a time of pitfalls and traps in man's way as we see in today's world. A time of desperate conditions globally, crime, drunkenness, immorality, international and global problems. In fact, just about every manner of uh, increase of strange diseases, fears, confusion. This and a lot more negative things that we could list presents a dark picture of the things that confront mankind today. Now, our theme today is from First Chronicles, the twelfth chapter, and verse thirty-two. Like to read, and the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. So, there are needs today that demand men or people, women, men and women, who know, who understand the signs of the times, and who know what Israel ought to do. Politically, economically, socially. We could say what the church needs to do, what we need to do individually. Today we're going to take our message from lessons in the 12th chapter of First Chronicles and consider some of the parallels of how some of those individuals met the needs of their time and asked the question, of us and others, are there those who can emulate that example spiritually as a Christian, as a citizen of this nation, as a citizen of this planet, of this world, as we see what is needed today and bring those answers and solutions that uh, was presented in the times of uh, David. Now, the time of our story in First Chronicles, the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 1. Now, these are they that came to David to Ziklag, while he yet kept himself close because of Saul, the son of Kish. Now, David was born in 1086 B.C. And he was anointed to be king at about uh, 1065 to 1063 B.C. About 20 years, a young 20 years of age, anointed by Samuel to replace Saul, who was the king. Then, within shortly after that time, and you can go back into Samuel and other uh, chapters to read more of this history, but David, when he was a young man in his early 20s, then went out and fought Goliath. And we've told the story before why he took the five smooth stones from the creek bank because there was Goliath and his four sons, five of them. David had a stone for every one of them. Later, all of these were killed, one of them by uh, uh, David's nephew, others by some of his mighty men. So all four of those sons of the giant Goliath were killed before David died. Then we'll pick up the story here as we uh, progress. Because of Saul, the son of Kish. So he stayed close because he was anointed to be king but, you know, there was war between him and Saul for several years as he was an outlaw from uh, uh, a few years after his anointing for a number of years until he himself was uh, crowned king. And they were among the mighty men, helpers of the war. They were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. So here were uh, 
the first of, I guess, a description that we can see here of the need in his day was for men that could fight. Mighty men, as it's mentioned. We'll see more about this later. Men who were soldiers. And we can think of parallel Christian soldiers today. We can, what, I'm, what I'm wanting us to do is to transfer our thinking from the physical into the spiritual lessons that we can receive today. So, there are um, a need in today, wouldn't you agree, for Christian soldiers. Look at this. They were armed with bows. They could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. Now, it's interesting that Saul was a Benjamite, the king, and in the New Testament, Saul, who became Paul, was also a Benjamite. So both, both Sauls were a Benjamin. Now, in verse uh, 3 through 7, we have a list, and there are separate lists in here, in uh, chapter 12, of uh, a number of uh, the leaders, number of mighty men of uh, David. Some of them we know more about in other areas. Some of them are just a name here. We know nothing in their history, only that they were leaders and chief, uh, like in verse 3. The chief was uh, Ahiezer, then Joash, the sons of uh, Shemaiah, the Gibeonite, and Jezeel, and Pellet, the sons of uh, Asmaveth, and uh, Barakah, and Jehu the Anthothite, and uh, excuse me if I don't pronounce all of these names right because they're not like a, mod a lot of our modern English American names. And uh, Ismaiah the Gibeonite, a mighty man among the 30 and over the 30. Now we know that David had certain uh, leaders. Uh, he had about 30 mighty men and there was a three of those mighty men and then there was a captain over them, captain of the Lord's host. And uh, so there were different officers of uh, David, but he had at least 30 mighty men that are mentioned by name elsewhere. We won't, uh, we're not going to leave too much from uh, 1 Chronicles, the 12th chapter here today, because this is such an interesting chapter. And uh, Jehaziel and Johanan and Jazabad, the Gedea Rathite, and Ulazai and uh, Jeremoth, and Beliah, and Shemariah, and Shephatiah, the Harithite, and Elkanah, and Josiah, and Azrael, and Josiezer, and uh, Joshobiam, the Korhites, and Joelah, and uh, Zebediah, the sons of uh, Jeroboam of Geder. Now, you know, a beautiful sound. We say one of the most beautiful sounds to a person is their own name. And they like to hear it pronounced correctly and like to hear that name uh, in a right way, you know, with, with humility. I'm not appealing to us in, into the baser elements of our character, but uh, we like to have and, and go by our name, uh, an incorrect nickname we don't want to respond to, but we like to have. So our names are important. Our name's important to God. And we ask a question, is our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Is it, how is it written? Is it different than our English American name that we have because of the character and of uh, the deeds that we do and uh, the description of who we are as God looks at us and he has written our name down? Well, we're all going to have a new name at some time in the future, right? Jesus is going to have a new name, so we're going to know his new name, and we're going to have a new name, and we'll get acquainted with one another and find out that our name is important and significant, whatever that is. And so uh, these men uh, probably have uh, mispronounced a lot of their names, and a lot of it, we don't know anything about some of these fellows. Some of them uh, we know as we go through some of these other lists here a little later. But in verse 8, and uh, let me uh, get up here to um, verse 8. And uh, of the Gadites, there separated themselves unto David, unto the hold, to the wilderness, men of might, men of war, fit for the battle, that could handle a shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and were as swift 
as the rose upon the mountain. So here again is a, a description of what was needed and what was met. They were men who separated themselves. Now, just think of the spiritual analogy. Have we separated ourselves from the world? Have we really dedicated ourselves to this spiritual battle that we're in? To our king? Have we looked to him as our savior and as our king and have lined up with him and are, have renounced the ways of the world and are capable, willing, able, faces like the face of a lion is courageous, courage, bold, as swift as a rose upon the mountains. You know, it's talking about the deer that runs on the mountains. And there's a lot of analogies, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, about the feet, about the motivation, the motive. You know, the feet are likened to the motivation and our path and our progress through life. How quickly, how are we running for God and in His way? Are we fleet like a deer or are we just like a turtle? You know, there's uh, something here that we can think about and our ability to fight as Christian soldiers, to resist, to stand up and be counted when the need is there. Now, uh, verse 9 through, uh, let's see here, verse 9 through 15 is another list. I don't know if uh, Brian can keep up with me on, on following here because we're going to stay here basically in chapter 12. But uh, let's read along here together. Uh, another list, Ezer the first, and Obadiah the second, Eliab the third, Mishmana the fourth, Jeremiah the fifth, not the prophet Jeremiah, but this was a different Jeremiah, Atiah the sixth. You know, this is one of the things in the Bible, there are sometimes a lot of different individuals have the same name and over different uh, centuries and different uh, time spans, so you have to figure out and look at the context, who is it talking about? And so... Jeremiah was hundreds of years later, the prophet, than uh, uh, this Jeremiah, so it couldn't have been the same one. Eliel the seventh, Johanan the eighth, Ezrabad the ninth, Jeremiah the tenth, and here's another Jeremiah, uh, the fourth and the tenth. No, the fifth and the tenth. Machbani the eleventh, these were of the sons of Gad, captains of the hosts. One of the least was over a hundred, and the greatest over a thousand. Now, there's a little confusion about this, and, and my margin from my uh, inspired notes that uh, are put in by the National Bible Printer says, one that was least could resist a hundred, and the greatest a thousand. So if that's what it means that the least person could fight and resist a hundred and the other, the greatest could do a thousand, uh, that's a mighty person. Or it could have, other, it could have another meaning that uh, they were, the least one was a, like a captain over a hundred and the greater, the stronger one was uh, a captain or leader over a thousand. And so we know in analogies that within the makeup of the church of God, there are different uh, opportunities, responsibilities, duties, callings, uh, assignments. Some have responsibility over a few, some over just themselves, some over many. Some are leaders over an organization, a group. Others are uh, in that group, but are helping and supporting and encouraging and uh, doing their part. Uh, small or great, that's, that's important. These are they that went over Jordan in the first month, when it had overflown all his banks, and they put to flight all of them of the valleys, both toward the east and toward the west. Now, what this seems to mean is that in the spring, when the winter thaws and snow and the river Jordan was running at its highest, and these men, it was a dangerous time for them to cross and to come over to... Uh, uh, Ziklag. Now, Ziklag is about, uh, if you think in the map, is about uh, 40 miles south uh, of Jerusalem, toward the Mediterranean, 
not quite to the end of the Dead Sea. And then Jerusalem would be up north, almost to the north end of the Dead Sea, uh, about in the center of Israel. So Ziklag is uh, in the mountainous uh, area there where it was a wilderness that was given to David by Achish of Gath. Uh, this uh, hold or this area for David who was hiding and running from Saul and had about 600 out of the uh, countries that had uh, different tribes that had joined him in his fight and resistance. So uh, this is the area that we're talking about in about, 10, about 1058. So we want to keep that in mind here. Uh, these were the sons of, oh, I read that, verse 14. Uh, these and 15, come down to 16. And there came of the children of Benjamin and Judah to the hold unto David. Now, remember, Saul is a Benjamite. He is king. So some of the Benjamites from the tribe, because this was in the southern area of uh, Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin and Judah uh, habitated together in the southern areas. And so uh, to the hold unto David. And David went out to meet them, verse 17, and answered and said unto them, If you become peaceably unto me to help me, my heart shall be knit unto you. But if you become to betray me to my enemies, seeing there is no wrong in my hands, the God of our fathers, look thereon and rebuke it. Now, look at what is going on here. David, as a leader of this group, was suspicious, naturally, of an outsider coming in. And especially, you can understand, uh, people that had an affinity to Saul and the uh, relationship of being of the tribe of Benjamin. He was naturally cautious and suspicious and wanted to check them out. And, and so we can think about this. If you were, let's, let's put it here. Suppose you in your family or your group or your organization had the responsibility over a group and somebody came in from outside. Wouldn't you want to kind of be cautious and find out what is their motive? What is their reason? What is their agenda? What do they have in mind? If they're for us and peaceable, then come on, we accept you. And uh, we look to God to help us in this decision. But if you're coming for your own agenda, your own ideas, you, you, you're going to be rejected. You're not going to be accepted. Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, who was the chief of the captains. And he said, of the captains of the group that was coming, of the Jews and the Benjamites, Thine are we, David. And on thy side, you son of Jesse, peace, peace be unto you, and peace be to your helpers, for your God helps you. Then David received them and made them captains of the band. And so, here David was perceptive enough to see with the Spirit of God coming on this person. Now, you know... Here was, here was something about David who could perceive and understand a true answer, whether it was a canned speech in advance or whether it was coming from the heart. And so when, when this MSI here, who was the chief of the captains, said to him, you know, these things, well, peace, we're, we, we're with you, David. We're going to uh, we accept uh, your terms and we want to be a part of this and he satisfied, I'm just paraphrasing, but he satisfied, and David could discern. Now, here's where it comes back to whether you're a leader or responsible or accountable or whether you're an individual. The Spirit of God. We recognize the Spirit on another person. And sometimes we have to be careful that we're not fooled. You know, there are people that have their own agenda and their own idea, and they can come to you with something to join up with you as an individual, and you've got to be strong enough to say, you know, if it's of God, I'll accept it. If it's not of God, then I'm going to be cautious and be alert. I'm, I'm for God, and I'm for peace. And if the person is proven out, humble, like a child, submissive, true, 
than brotherhood, and we accept that. And uh, we go on and go forward. Now, verse 19, And there fell some of Manasseh to David when he came with the Philistines against Saul to battle. But they helped them not. For the lords of the Philistines, upon advertisement, sent them away, saying, He will fall to his master Saul to the jeopardy of our heads. Now, the thing about this and the Bible is sometimes there are inserts and insets of past time. And here, if you go back, we won't do this, but in the reference you might have in your reference here back to uh, 1 Samuel and uh, the 29th chapter. And what happened here was that uh, David, with some of his men, had left Ziklag and he left a couple of hundred behind to watch the baggage and everything and, and their foods and, and he took 400 soldiers with him and he was going to join up with the Philistines. But this is a quandary because he was going to have to fight against Saul with the Philistines, but God got him out of that because the Philistine captains, so they started complaining, well, who's this guy? He's not with us, you know, just send him back and, and don't let him fight with us. And so the king sent David back and he got him out of that quandary so he wasn't have to go back. And so uh, these Manassites, they had uh, earlier left and came and joined up. Some, uh, they, and there fell some, and the Hebrew word here is fell away. And the, the question is, uh, some confusion about did they fall away from David, but no. They actually fell away from Saul. They, they departed from Saul. They, they fell away from Saul, but they joined up to David. They fell to David. And uh, they wanted to uh, join with him, but, you know, God got him out of that quandary. And, though, and so as he went to Ziklag and then he returned on the way, and you can uh, read this in uh, 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, as he went back to Ziklag, there fell to him of Manasseh, Adna and uh, Jozabad and uh, Jedidiel and Michael and Jozabad and Elihu and Zilthi, captains of the thousands that were of Manasseh. And they helped David against the band of the rovers, for they were all mighty men of valor and captains of the hosts. And so what happened? While David was gone, then the Amalekites came in and raided Ziklag, and they captured a couple of David's wives and some of the uh, baggage and, the, uh, and their foodstuffs and, and animals and whatever they had. And uh, they left, and well, then Manasseh, when they came, some of these tribes that joined up, the Manasseh that joined up with David, they helped him attack the, the Amalekites, defeat them. He got back all of his goods. He got back his two wives. And uh, some of his soldiers, uh, if you go back in the first... Uh, uh, Samuel 29 and 30, and we won't do that today, but you can read this. They were kind of griping to David because the spoil and the booty that they were taking from the Amalekites, in addition to what they had recovered, David split it up with the rest of the 200 because he had 400 fighters with him. And they were complaining about it. Oh, no, these guys were keeping the baggage. They're not entitled to it. And David said, this is the manner. This is the way it's going to be. Those who stay with the baggage, those are going to share the booty equal with those who go out and fight so that everyone was going to share equal. And it was that way from then on in the kingdom of Israel. So the, uh, those who had duties at home, they shared in the same blessing. Those who uh, protected the baggage and the animals, they shared in whatever they captured from the enemy, the rest of those that went out to fight. So there was, so that, that solved that problem there. And uh, verse 22. For at that time, day by day, there came to David to help him until it was a great host like the host of God. Now listen, brother, we know this. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so for 2,000 years, and the church of God was based on the apostles and prophets, and it was called the church in the wilderness, going back to the spiritual organism within the physical nation of Israel. But it was really founded on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first came uh, into men and men were begotten and became a member of the church of God. And the church has continued right on down to this day. 
day by day, a few here and a few there. The Church of God is not the greatest religious organization by numbers in the world today, is it? It's not as uh, uh, numerous as the Muslim religion or as some of the uh, other idolatrous religions. But day by day, God added to his church, remember in Pentecost? God added to his church daily, such as should be saved. And so some are, some have been in this way for, right here in this congregation, some have been in this way for nearly 60 years. Some have been in for 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, 5 years. Some have joined in the Church of God within the last weeks and months. I'm not just talking about in Tulsa, but I'm talking about all over this world. There, the Church of God is growing as God adds to the church daily, such as should be saved. And they helped against the band of rovers that were mighty men of valor and captains. And they came day by day to help. Here's a question that every one of us must ask. Are we in the church of God to help or be helped? Well, both, both answers is correct. But isn't the preponderance to help, to help others in this way, to share and to serve God and to serve our fellow man and to do whatever he's called us to do. We all need to find out what it is God wants us to do, whether it's a little or much, whether it's over ourself, five, ten, a hundred, a thousand, whatever it is that God, and do that faithfully and diligently and valiantly and uh, I had, uh, let's see here, um, this word, let me see where I uh, copied this from. Oh, valor from the dictionary. It says, valor, that quality which enables a person to meet danger with firmness and personal bravery. Soldiers, and I just saw a new uh, commercial that uh, I was intrigued a little bit about it. I don't know if I can remember all of it, but it was just a new commercial. It was about uh, saying about because of all of the things that are going on in the world and the dangers in the world, and let me see, I, I made uh, disasters. There's a need for the American Navy to do good. The American Navy, and this was, a, this was a commercial by the American Navy on TV. You might be seeing it. It's just a new one. And uh, I was intrigued about that because they were laying out all the problems, that, uh, several of the problems that are going on in the world today where the American Navy is right there to do good. And so when we look at all of the things that are going on in the world today and the needs, what are we doing about it and, and our place in our part? Is it small or is it great? Is it to be of help or to be helped? And notice they came to David to help him until it was a great host like the host of God. And in the rest of the chapter here we'll give some enumerations and to see that there was over later 300,000 over 300,000 that were joining up with David plus the rest of Israel. We'll see that a little later here. And these, verse 23, are the numbers of the bands that were ready armed to the war and came to David to Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. Now, here's what we need to understand. During this time, from 1058 to 1056, during this time, King Saul was killed. Now, it was a combination of uh, when they were fighting the Philistines, and he had uh, his son Jonathan and, and some more of his family members, and they were fighting the Philistines, and they were losing. And so it was a combination of uh, Saul committing suicide, and then another young man came to Ziklag, uh, 
think he was an Egyptian. I'm not sure. I have to go back and read the rest of the story. And he bragged about how he killed Saul and he brought his head and his uh, ornaments and things to David. And David didn't say, you have the audacity to touch the anointed of God? And he killed him. Because he raised his hand against the anointed of God. And that's one thing that David never, that's why he fled and he got away. And he even allowed his own son for several years was a usurper to the throne. And he resisted him and he, and he fled. So during this time now, of a year and a half to a couple of years, down to 1056, Saul is dead. And now we have the one that is anointed to be king, an uncrowned king David, the, the disqualified king Saul that sat on the throne is dead. So now what are we going to do? Well, they came uh, to David in Hebron. Came to David to Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. Now here's the rest of the story. What's left out of right here, we have to go back into Samuel to see this, is that they came to him and wanted to anoint him, to, uh, wanted to crown him to be king. And David appealed to God, should I go? Now Hebron is north of uh, Ziklag, about halfway up to Jerusalem. So Hebron is 20 miles north of Ziklag. And David wanted to know, should I go uh, up there? And God said, yes, go on up. And so he went up and he submitted to being crowned king. And he ruled in Hebron seven years. And he ruled then over in Jerusalem. He moved up seven years later to Jerusalem. And he ruled there 33 years. So he ruled over Israel 40 years. Now, David was born in 1086. He died in 1015 B.C. He is 71 years of age. He came to the throne as a crowned king at 30 years of age. You can go back into the other chapter and it lays out these dates and, and, and his ages. So when he was 30, he had been already anointed by king for seven or eight years because before he killed Goliath, remember Samuel came and under God and said, select David and anoint him to be the king because I've selected him a man after my own heart. And so David all of this time, that's why he stayed close to the whole, to stay close to Saul because he knew one day he was going to be king and he wouldn't raise his hand against him. He fled and he got away. And, that, that, and so uh, now he's persuaded and convinced to go to Hebron and to be ordained according to the word of the Lord to turn the kingdom of Saul to him See, Saul had ruined the throne. There were enemies galore around, and he was abusive, and he was uh, not a good king. But the real king that God wanted on the throne was David. And he had to go through. Now listen to this, brother. David knew he was going to be king. He was already anointed by God. But the crowning didn't take place for seven to ten years later. And so... He had all kinds of things that he suffered. And you can go back and read some of the Psalms that describe some of the things that he went through in his heart. And I talked here just briefly a few weeks ago about uh, flawed heroes, about David. A man after God's own heart, a mighty example, a great example, and yet he was flawed. An adulterer, a murderer. You know, you can, you can pick apart the things that were uh, bad in David's character, but the pluses and the uh, character that he excelled was positive and good. And he was wanting now to turn the kingdom back to God according to the word of the Lord. Verse 24, the children of Judah that uh, bear shield and spear were 6,800 ready armed to the war. Of the children, Simeon, mighty men of valor, for the war, 7,100. Of the children of Levi, 4,600. And Jehoiada was the leader of the Aaronites, and with him were 3,700. Now remember, Jehoiada was the father of Benaiah. Remember, Benaiah 
who went down and slew a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Remember that message years ago that I presented about Benaiah, one of the mighty men of God and the mighty wonderful things he did as a priest and a warrior priest. His father was Jehoiada, one of the mighty men, and even Jehoiada had another son in one of the mighty men, a brother of Benaiah. So these were, this was a family of mighty men. How mighty are we before God? Are we mighty or are we wimps? And with him were 3,700. And Zadok, another young man of mighty of valor, and of his father's house, 20 and two captains. And of the children of Benjamin, the kingdom, the kindred of Saul, 3,000. For hitherto the greatest part of them had kept the ward of the house of Saul. So, you know, they were, they were divided politically. And this, comes to, this is one of the things politically, I'll just talk about this briefly, facing every one of us today in the kingdom, the political uh, direction of the government of our beloved country. Are those who are the crowned kings ruling, are they making the right decisions and doing the right things? Or are we waiting for a change to come? Better. Do we want it better today than it was four years ago? That's the question. And they uh, were split and divided. While Saul was living, they had divided loyalty to him. But now he's gone. Now's a chance for them to unite under the right direction of a right king that was anointed and ordained by God and selected by, uh, as we'll see here, by the tribes. This is what's going on where they're gathering there uh, to Hebron. Uh, the children of uh, Benjamin, the kindred of Saul, 3,000. For hitherto the greatest part of them had kept the ward of the house of Saul. I read that. And of the children of Ephraim, 20,000 and 800, mighty men of valor, famous throughout the house of their fathers, mighty men of valor. Now, uh, let's see. I had a list here. Let me, let me see here where, uh, okay. Uh, look how many times this is mentioned here. Verse uh, 1, mighty men. Verse 21, mighty men. Verse 25, mighty men. Verse 28, mighty men. Verse 30, mighty men. Verse 31, mighty men. Verse 4, mighty men. Some of the mighty men of valor. But... Famous throughout the house of their fathers. Now, let me ask. How well are you known? How well in the kingdom of God are you known? Are you known in other areas? It was, nice. I, I was, it was a nice blessing to have a man call from another organization and wanted to know if some of our men could be speakers at their Feast of Tabernacles at another location. And I've been checking around with that so far. It hasn't worked out because of already previous commitments. But to become known and to become famous and well-known in, in other countries, in other states, in other cities, in other organizations, when your name is mentioned to somebody from across the country say, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, he was here at Feast of Tabernacles, right? I remember them. I saw them back there. I know them. They're, that's a, uh, a person or a woman. I don't want to leave the women out because sometimes uh, the women are well-known, and we, we can mention some women's names now in the church. You would recognize some of these uh, women. You could recognize some of the men. Please, I'm not appealing to vanity or ego or to have our name out there, but I'm just asking if we're helpers and involved and active and we have a chance and we move around, maybe it's God moving us around so that we're acquainted in this area and we're acquainted in that area and they know us here, they know us there. And we can have an influence in a positive way in some small way or some large way. There's a lot in here to think about. And... Uh, 
they were famous throughout the house of their fathers and the rest of the family. Their family, yes, dad, mom, they're a Christian, they're a believer, they're, I'm really proud, I'm pleased with them, you know. Verse 32, and of the children of Issachar, we read this, this is our opening, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200 and all their brethren were at their commandment. And so these individuals of Issachar who dwelt along the west bank that split up and down between the Sea of Galilee and the River Jordan, the west bank of the Jordan River, very plush, very lush, very rich uh, area that they inhabited. And what did it, what did it mean uh, they had understanding of the times that uh, they, uh, that they could fulfill that? When we consider the times today, brethren, and your analysis, when you get into conversation politically with uh, some of your friends or family members or on a job, and you're talking about the geopolitical situation today and what we have a need of, how discerning are we? Can we say, this is what we ought to do. This is, this is the direction according to God. This is, we're doing this wrong. We're not doing this right. This is what we could do. Something to think about. Of Zebulun such as went forth to battle, expert in war, with all instruments of war, 50,000, which could keep rank. They were not of double heart. My, look at these people. Mighty 50,000 of them could keep rank, they could stay, they knew, they knew the march. You know, when I watch all of those uh, Koreans doing that goose step, you see them on TV by the masses, and you see those Iranians parading and uh, marching to their march, and you see our American soldiers, you know, that's about the only time we have uh, maybe in school like a band or something, you know, they, they march, but to see the masses by the, isn't that uh, thrilling and inspiring to watch? Uh, some of you mentioned about the Olympics and some of the, uh, I don't know what you call it, the dancing, where, I mean the water thing where all the women, uh, what's the name of that? Uh, were synchronized. synchronized, synchronized swimming. And they can go down and turn upside down and do all of that and synchronized. That's, that's incredible that they could do that. It takes years of practice. And see those, you know what I'm talking about, those Koreans that bounce when they march by the hundreds of thousands that are out there marching. And How much in step are we with God's way, with Jesus Christ? How expert in war are we able to fight as a Christian soldier in the right way? Now, we know just, just a few days ago was on the news really saddening and alarming, and it's happening more and more. Remember there in um, Afghanistan where the uh, Afghanistan soldier killed three, murdered three of the Americans because they had invited them over to a meal. Now, it's terrible when people who are there to fight and to help another country are murdered like that, but you know, probably and we see this right now in America. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more caution. Don't we as men have a little more caution about going out late at night and by ourselves in the areas and women about when they go shopping by themselves and letting somebody know where they are and opening the door? One of the ladies here told me she didn't open the door for anybody. Somebody's coming. They have to call her first to tell her family, even family, tell her, I'm coming over to see you. And so they recognize. And... There's such a concern. This is why we ought to be cautious and careful. And we know this. Never, never meet anybody on the Internet and go out 
and meet that person alone in a street. Never go out to buy something from somebody late at night in an area where you don't know anything about. Never, women, get in the car, trunk of a car, run and scream and yell fire. If you're in the parking lot and somebody sticks a gun in your face, it's better to be shot right there and get some medical help than get in that car, in that trunk. I'm telling you because you'll never get out of it. The chances of getting out of that are very minuscule. You know, I used to walk at night, uh, 9 o'clock, because I like to watch the moon phases changing and the stars and look, you know, and when it's weather permitting. I walk now at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It's say, when it's not raining or really exorbitant heat and a couple of days of really high temperatures, I didn't go out. But most of the days I like to walk at 5 o'clock because of the traffic and there are uh, all kinds of safety things, in the even in the neighborhood where I live because there was some people murdered just by a neighbor lived a block and a half away. Five hoodlums murdered a guy just a few, halfway between David Hope and, my, and myself, a few blocks from David, a few blocks from me. So I don't walk at 9 o'clock at night. I walk, I'm a man, and I've got a big walking stick. If a dog comes after me, I can shove it down his throat. I can hit him on the head with it, a dog. Or I can run with it, you know, scare him off with that nice big heavy walking stick that I made. I've made a lot of those and given them out. And I like that. It's a little security. And I don't need it to walk, but it's just a little security for dogs that might want to come bite me on the leg. And so, are you that way? Are you cautious, women? Are you careful now more? You know, I think our soldiers in Afghanistan I think they're going to be probably a little more cautious and careful about being invited over by some of the, you know, this is like several dozen times American soldiers have been killed, sabotaged, set up, trapped, ambushed by friendly forces of the other country. They were not of double heart. They could keep rank and march. They were single-minded. And of Naphtali, a thousand captains, and with them with shield and spear, thirty and seven thousand. And of the Danites, expert in war. Look at all these. Expert, twenty and eight thousand. This is a sword. You've, some of you, uh, you know, I've teased some of you. You left your sword at church here. What's your sword doing at church? You ought to have it home. Keep it sharp. Double I know you got a bunch of them on your shelf. I got all kinds of swords, but you know, there's nothing like having that one favorite sword that you really know how to use. It's double-edged. It's sharp. It's worn. You're a veteran of battles, and it's all marked up and pages coming apart. And you hate to turn a page because you got some scotch tape on it. You know, it's gonna stick and fall apart. And your sword, you know, how sharp is it? If it's ragged and bent and crooked, that's okay if you're using it, if you're using this sword here. And if you're single-minded, single heart, of the Danites, expert in war, of Asher, such as went forth to battle, expert in war, and on the other side of Jordan, of the Reubenites, and of the Gadites, and of the half-tribe of Manasseh, with all manner of instruments of war, and for the battle, 120,000. 120,000 Manassehs, because they were closer. Now, if you count these up and add them all, you see there was over 300,000 mighty men plus all the leaders that joined with David. Do you know how he would feel to know the acceptance and the recognition now in the crowning in Hebron that he was to be king? And he stayed there seven years and then he moved on to, to Jerusalem and he reigned there 33 years until he died in 1015. That's 71 years of age. And Solomon took over the throne after him. All these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest also of Israel were of one heart. The rest that didn't come of that three, those millions that were there throughout the twelve tribes of Israel, the thirteen coming Levi, to make David king. And 
There they were with David three days, eating and drinking, for their brethren had prepared for them. Moreover, they that were nigh unto them, even unto Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali, distant tribes, brought bread on asses and on camels and on mules and on oxen and meat, meal, cakes of figs and bunches of raisins and wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly. For there was joy in Israel. 300,000 people plus the others, they needed food, they needed clothes, they were three days and three nights. They needed drink and, and some feasting, something to feast on. And so it was supplied. A time of joy. Brethren, when Jesus Christ comes as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and takes over the throne of his father David, and sits on that throne ruling. And we are going to be joyous. And we're going to be blessed to be there. And to join in that mighty marriage supper of the Lamb. And to be a part of that rule of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Now, in closing. What are the needs of our time? Men of character, soldiers of Jesus Christ, warriors to the very death, standing up for our King, decisive, attached, loyal to Him who has called us out and has called us to be a good warfare, to make a good warfare. Men of valor, ready. When I say men, I mean women as well. You know I'm talking about people. Ready armed, expert in war, famous in the house of our fathers, not double hearted, of one heart, a perfect heart, men who could keep rank, use all instruments of war, who could use both hands, swift as deer, courageous with faces like lions, men who have understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Beloved, are we like these honored men of history? Men that are mentioned in 1 Chronicles, the 12th chapter. Let everything in our present history be consecrated to God. And ask God that when the church is trembling, when truth is fading, when the hearts on all sides are quaking, when the nation is confused, that you and I can stand and that we can continue to pray and that we will be men of understanding to know what Israel ought to do in these times of trouble.